Sorry, can't say. What's that word you use? Spoilers. I like that word. Hello and welcome to Spoiler Nation, the podcast where we have spoiler-filled discussions on your favorite and sometimes not so favorite movies and TV shows. Today we're talking about two blockbuster outings. One's kind of a blockbuster by accident, and one's a failed blockbuster. Yeah. One's a surprise hit, mm. and one is a movie a failure. <laughs> It's generally popular among people. People like it. Yeah, I guess I. We'll try and pass out why. I really want to know. So let's, let's do a deep dive into this. I want to know why. What's going on? All right, let's let's talk about it. My name is Howie, and I'm the senior editor of IsolatedNation.com. And joining me is Reese. Hey, what's up, everybody?、Um, also a writer at IsolatedNation.com. He writes about movies. And That's、stuff. right. On on the occasion, yes, I do. <laughs>、um, and of course, today we are talking about John Krasinski's directorial debut, A Quiet Place. And Steven Spielberg's、um, cash cow, <laughs> Ready Player One. But before that, before we、uh, dive deep into movies, let's talk about a three-minute trailer. You're after something. Is it revenge? Money. Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job? Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver and I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? Let me give you some advice. Assume everyone will betray you, and you will never be disappointed. I got a really good feeling about this. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old. You look great. Push it. Let's talk about Solo. This movie's coming out so soon. Do you know when it's coming out? Like in May. That's soon. What the fuck? Like it's it's only been like a few months since the Last Jedi, and now they're dropping the next Star Wars movie so close.、Uh, this has nothing to do with the trailer, <laughs> but just I just want to say, like, isn't that why wasn't it released in December? Why was it so close to this one? Well, you know, you've got the reshoots, right? Yeah, that could be why. The, and、yeah. and you know,、uh, Disney's general like. Uh, lack of confidence in this movie, <laughs> man. Yeah, tell me about it. I feel like I keep forgetting it's coming out, and I like Star Wars. <laughs> I keep forgetting it's coming out, but but this trailer, trailer was pretty good. Looks good. It looks like fun. The production of this movie has been plagued by major changes. Yeah, and just outright like bad and worrying rumors. Right, we've got rumors of. Um, Alden Einreich, who plays Han Solo in this movie, yeah,、um, not being up to snuff. Yeah, like there have been a few leaks and stuff, and it feels like if a movie is going well, people aren't leaking stuff like that <laughs>、yeah. in general. And that and the trailer, even this new trailer, which I liked, it hasn't. I'm not sold still on him really.、Mm-hmm. I think I'm really impressed with the makeup and the costuming people because 
if you look at him outside of this movie, he's like, what? He doesn't look like what? But in this movie, he he looks the part. Yeah. Like, he really does. But when he talks, it's like, oh. Like, I know it's not going to be the Han Solo from A New Hope because that's a decade later, right? Yeah. But I'm not seeing, like, any... I know it's just a trailer, the but I'm not seeing... buckling. None of that. I get that with Lando, like, uh, Donald Glover. Like, he looks... He looks, he looks good to me. He looks amazing. And he's like got the attitude yeah. to to a, like a science and I don't know this guy looks a bit lost like when when he's talking to people in these scenes and like it's worrying <laughs> cuz it's called like Han Solo the movie. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> he's the title he's character. The, he's the key to all this uh, in the words of George Lucas talking about Jar Jar Binks with episode 1. He's the key to all of this. Yeah. And if he doesn't sell it, <laughs> no matter how good everything else looks, which it does like Woody Harrelson looks amazing. Um uh Amelia Clark looks yeah fantastic yeah she does i think she she was even better in this trailer than the first one like yeah I don't know, she seems quite charming and tandy newton tandy newton looks badass she's got that uh fro like yeah. that 70s because i guess these um spit-off star wars movies they're set around a new hope which came out during the 70s right so they're <laughs> remaining close to that aesthetic yeah she looks cool but yeah it looks pretty fun and i like that it's not like gonna be like a big you know uh myth heavy sort of movie like rogue one and the other star wars yeah movies. it seems like this uh might just be a kind of a heist movie yeah they're robbing a train or something yeah. like that it looks like and cool and the tra- trailer i have to say is being very strategic or sneaky with um um like r- minimizing the screen time that alden einreich has <laughs> in these trailers they seem right? to be hiding him yeah and it's not because I think they're that confident in him either that they're like, oh, he's our secret weapon, Alden Ironreich. Yeah, I yeah. can't wait to show him to everybody. I don't. Yeah, some for some reason it just doesn't feel like a tease. No, no. It's more like, uh, you know, let's just let's show surround him, him with stuff like Lando yeah. and Amelia Clark and Woody Harrelson and Chewbacca. Yeah, yeah. Which you know they all look good. All the elements look good. The the limited screen time that uh, Einreich has in the trailer, you know, he looks. Fine. I mean, you know, he's not uh, a showstopper from what we've seen so far, but I think there's a chance that he could be good in this. Uh, yeah, I'm open to that yeah. totally. It's just I don't, I don't feel sold yet. Yes. But it's kind of weird because how can anyone like live up to Harrison Ford as Han Solo? If that's why this whole project as well has that sort of air, even before the Phil Lord and Chris Miller thing. It was a bit like, oh, I don't know about this because it's such a Harrison Ford role. Yeah, well, the casting is off of him, uh, him being in the Coen Brothers movie. Caesar's. Hail um, Caesar. Hail Caesar, which and he was great in. He killed. He was, and, you know, yeah. he has a really comedic role in that movie and he was really good at that. Yeah, but he <laughs> it, didn't have it, to carry that movie. That's true. That's He's true. only in like a few scenes. And it does seem like he doesn't have to carry this movie. Yeah, it either. looks like an ensemble. It does. More than you would... I uh, think so. Yeah. Which cool. But um it's you know it's kind of weird because is this going to be like a dark movie because the color palette looks really dingy. It does. Yeah. It looks like the like it looks great but like the inside of a toilet bowl. Yeah. But the tone of like the seems, jokes, the jokes and like the banter, but it seems there's a bit where Woody's like once you're in this you're in this for life, which seems like a little mafia thing. <laughs> So I'm thinking, what's what's the tone of this movie going to be? I still don't really know. Because the other Star Wars trailers were great at conveying the tone of their movies. Yes. This seems a bit like, I don't know what this is going to 
be as much. It's a bit confused, which could be as a result of different directors and <laughs> yeah. maybe that could be why. Yeah. Maybe I'm <laughs> maybe I'm reading into it because by the same time the last Jedi trailers didn't show any of the casino planet stuff. So <laughs> who knows? But I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Ah, uh, bit more than cautiously. I'm actually kind of optimistic. Yeah, halfway so. But who knows? As we famously found out from the Suicide Squad trailers, trailers are deceiving. Oh so. yeah, <laughs> that that production was also a giant fucking mess. Exactly. Yeah. So hopefully it's nowhere near that bad. I'm still on the cautiously optimistic camp, but we'll see. You know, it looks good so far. I'm open to it being good. I mean, I was gonna see it even if it looks like a big pile of trash. Yeah. But uh, they can't keep getting away with. Oh, this is really troubled. Oh, save last minute. You know, because they're making one of these a year, so they got to dip up their game with this director shit. You know. Yeah. Uh, how about you stick to director? <laughs> Maybe that. Then you know that'd be great. Make sure you guys are right for the project and whatnot. Speaking of that, though. Yeah. Um, a small update on the previous Star Wars spin-off movie, which was Rogue One. Oh, I know what this is about. <laughs> yes. Um. Tony Gilroy. Yeah, he was hired um, for reshoots. He was, yes, famously re- hired for reshoots to fix um, Rogue One after apparently Gareth Ad- Edwards just wasn't cutting it. I mean, he called it a mess. Yeah. Tony Gilroy. Yeah, like, recently. I walked into a mess. Yeah, he, he talked about this in an interview lately that was like, it's, it, that felt like when he went in, it was all about damage control. Yeah. He was just hired to put something cohesive together. Just essentially. which is what the movie felt like, like Rogue One. Yeah. As it goes along, it it's hard to describe how, but it feels like it's barely holding yes, on by a thread. I I agree. It seems keen to get things over with and get to the next sort of thing. It feels yeah. it has this very rushed feeling. Yeah. And it really makes me wonder, wow, how how bad could his original like cut be? <laughs> Which we can never know because obviously he didn't complete it. Exactly. And I don't even know how much of the film he shot, you know, that was actually like his movie. But it's interesting that he's like talking about it now because it's like, why why is he talking about it? Yeah, I don't understand what veil has been lifted that he could just talk about that. Yeah, and is there like a statue of limitations on these things? (laughs) Or maybe him saying that it was a mess... You know, at the time that's around the time that Solo is coming out, just gives more credence or credit to Kathleen Kennedy, Kennedy, KK, yeah. Uh, you know, decision to replace um, Lord and Miller with Ron Howard on Solo. Well, there were different reasons. I don't know why Edwards was taken off his movie, other than it seemed to be bad. Well, Edwards at the end of the day was still credited as, as a director. Because he seemed to go along with that stuff. And yeah. the Miller Lord, they were like, no. Yeah, they like, had a really strong vision and they wouldn't, I guess, compromise. Yeah. Yeah. Which, so that's why, like, heads were rolling and stuff. I assume yeah. they would have stuck on the movie and still had credits if they just went along with Ron Howard reshooting whatever portion they needed to reshoot. But obviously they just wanted to do their own thing. I don't think this will be as much of a mess of Rogue One simply because it's it's completely reshot, like, and to the script. Exactly. It's not going to be close to what Phil Lord and Chris Miller did. I don't even know if they'll have, like, an exec producer credit. You think that their influence is just going to be completely... Like, scrubbed away. So you think this is probably, like, Edgar Wright, Ant-Man situation? See, it's difficult because he didn't even get to start on that, and they were like three or four months into this I see, I see. so maybe they would get a producer credit as just like a money thing hmm. but um 
Shit, yeah, they're definitely not the the directorial credit, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, um, I hope it's good. Uh, Yeah, I hope it's good too. Yeah, let's, let's, let's hope so. Yeah. Okay, so that's a good transition to something that is actually good, and we know that for sure, which is... John Krasinski's A Quiet Place. Yes, an original and pretty tense thriller. It's uh, just centers on this like small family, like he, Emily Blunt, and their three kids at the start. Yeah. And Earth has obviously have been having people of Earth have been having to live in silence. Oh, spoiler alert for a quiet. Oh place. yeah, this is spoiler nation. So spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> anyway, so it says like day eighty nine or something. So we're we're just far enough in that people know that they have to live their lives silently. Yeah. So we see them at the store, and then a kid makes a noise. One of their kids, and he gets immediately attacked by something you don't quite see, but you know it's like something horrific. Yeah. So we fast forward a bit to the main plot or the conceit, which is Emily Blunt uh, is pregnant. You know, she's about to have a baby. And that's sort of the ticking time bomb of the movie. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, she has to give birth and it's going to be loud. And is she yeah. going to be in the right place and for this? And we've all seen the trailer. She's just in a bathtub somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's this family hiding in the woods and the father's like trying to figure out what is a weakness against the monsters yeah. and all that kind of thing. Just from the get-go, this movie is so assured in what it wants to be. You yeah. know, from the in-media res um, opening scene where you just know that, okay, it's post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. They're the only ones who seem to be the survivors or they're one of the few survivors. You know, there there are a few because the shelves in the convenience stores are like a lot of, a lot of empty as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, just how sort of desperate the situation is. And the great thing about this conceit is that there's no like much, not much exposition. I, I love it. It's a classic case of show, don't tell, done right. Yeah. What's relevant is what this family is going through. Mm-hmm. That's the focus of this movie. And it doesn't bother with, you know, telling us, oh, how did the aliens get here? Yeah, it's not, a, it's like not an action fight movie where we have to stop the alien things because yeah. it's just about this family trying to live. And the brilliant thing about John Krasinski is that he has such big eyes <laughs> yes. that he can really convey emotion through those eyes, Yeah, you know. And Emily Blunt is like a fantastic actress, of course. Of course, So yeah. I, I think they really like cement what could have potentially been a boring movie yeah. if they weren't like so fucking good at what yeah. they do. They're great anchors for this film. And I think this is a great... Um, debut for the the couple and acting great. together on yeah, screen. Great exhibition of their chemistry. Yeah, you really give a fuck. Yeah, like, about the two of them. You really care for these uh, this family, really. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm glad it's not like some sappy love story or whatever that you know they chose to. It's a horror. Yeah, it's exactly. a horror. It's pretty brutal, and it follows through on brutal things that would happen to people like obviously he dies at the end and you know the family has to continue without him yes but what another thing i really love about this film is that it doesn't rely on like jump scares as much but it relies on good setup and payoff for its like tense scares Mm -hmm. such as when emily blunt is like going downstairs and you see a rusty nail just poking out and you know she has to step on it and some at some point and it's like you're just white knuckling it the whole time yeah, before yeah. she inevitably does so. And at that time, you know, her husband's gone, the kids are gone, so like they split they split the family up into like three different sort of areas at yeah. the end. So they each have to like deal with the oncoming monsters in their own way. Yes. So it like cross cuts between what what's going on with them and what they're doing and it's like 
fucking great. Like, you know, it doesn't overstay its welcome at all. It ends at exactly the right moment. Yeah, it's pitch perfect. And it's really fun. And I got to say, I I was talking to you about this before. I was really fucking surprised this was like an M or like a PG-13 movie. Right. Because I really thought it was gorier than what it was. Yeah. But it wasn't. It like, wasn't. Like, everything, uh, most of the deaths happen off screen. And it's like really intense sound effects yeah. and like squelching and stuff like yeah. that. And it like down to the last second, it just cuts away. Like yeah. it, you still feel how visceral it is. Obviously, one of the most exciting and impactful moments was when the first child dies, right? So Because yeah. we're just like, oh, what's going to happen? And... And I think that's when they use the speed of these monsters really well. You just see something fly into it and then it cuts to black or it cuts to Emily Blunt. Like her face, she already knows that her kid is gone. And like, the father's still got to try. Yeah, he's yeah. still trying even though he's... That's what I love about that scene. It focuses more on everyone else's reaction yeah. than what's actually happening. And that's just... That's so exciting to watch because that's really hard done right. And it does it in like the first... 10 minutes like yeah. you know it does it super early it sets the stakes of what it is really well yeah they're not, they're not afraid to kill a child they will kill a child so we'll you know be on the watch out for the yeah. next hour and a half or exactly whatever it is. exactly really um, just just very cleverly made yeah you know not so ambitious it's obviously a very low-key sort of movie but when it's in its quieter moments like you know it's of course the whole fucking thing's quiet but when there's like no immediate threat <laughs> yeah. to the family and you see them going about their day. Sometimes it's like quite tender and lovely. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's not like afraid to luxuriate in those moments as well. Yeah, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is that dance scene between Emily Blunt yes. and John Krasinski. And, yeah. you know, she puts the headphone, the earphone on his ear and they dance together because they can't play music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As you said, it's such a tender moment. And you can also see the desperation in your eyes which is oh shit we ha- we're going to have a child <laughs> yeah <laughs> and also when um there's a sort of quiet moment when he's like lighting the fire on his chimney and that sort of leads to other survivors l- lighting their That's own right. little fires there's like a lovely little scene where you see there's life they're not alone like there's life yeah. on the edges of what's going yeah. on yeah, I love Basically. little things like that. Things on the periphery, things on the side that just indicate... It gives you a lived-in feel of this universe without over-emphasizing the mythology of, of whatever this universe is. You know, it doesn't it's because like, they're confident get bogged in, down in They're that. confident in their story. Yeah. They're confident yeah. in how good it is. And they follow through on that. There is um one scene where uh, John Krasinski takes his kid to the waterfall for the first time. Yes. And he shows him, hey, you can talk here and, uh, you know, we can talk to each other. I will say, I thought that was going to pay off sort of de- at the end of the movie. Uh-huh. But it is sort of just a scene for them to have a conversation. Yeah. So I was a bit, oh, yeah. not disappointed, but I, I was thinking, because why have that detail there? I get that they needed to have the kid and the father to have the heart to, yeah, heart to talk about. Yeah. But you'd think they'd go there like all the time to talk. <laughs> That's true. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess it is also, a, a, theoretically, it's a dangerous place to go for them to, to go because it is the loudest place. Yeah, and also anything could happen. Yeah. You have to really plan your excursions, I suppose. Yeah. But speaking of the kid, he's my favorite. Like, he's the MVP of the movie, the boy mm-hmm. who just, like, is scared all the time. Like, he, and he's not just scared because he's like like a coward or a kid he's scared because it's realistic to be scared you know like yeah. he, he's smart enough to be afraid 
of every little thing. I love when he's when John Krasinski is like howling near the waterfall and he's saying it's okay and he's like really still hesitating. Yeah, that struck yeah. me as like really like a lesser movie would just have the kid screaming. Yeah, but yeah. it felt very true to life that the kid was still hesitating even when his dad was doing it. Yeah, it was sort of reminding me of like when a dad takes his kid to the pool and he's like it's okay I'm in the water you can come and the kid's still like no 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 yeah yeah it, and it's little details like that that made you um, very invested in yeah. them. Yeah, I think what. Uh, makes the movie work so well is that at its core it's really a family drama yeah with horror elements sprinkled in and it uses it uses the horror elements to enhance the family drama yeah you know it's a movie about uh where you know being silence is key Mm-hmm. And because, you know, of course, the literal threat is that the monsters kill you. Mm-hmm. But it's also a movie about silence between families and communication between families. Because obviously one of the main storylines at the core of this movie is their youngest kid dies because uh, the daughter who is deaf, you know, in a moment of, I guess you could say weakness or kindness, um, gives her brother the toy that they're not uses. supposed to have yeah. because it makes a noise and he ends up using it and that's you know the cause of his death because the, the monsters heard hit the toy and it's like a terrible sense of survivor's guilt yeah which probably led to her internalizing those feelings and becoming reckless which sort exactly. of informs her actions later yeah but in, in any other horror film it would be like stupid like why are you doing that but you understand yeah. her emotions yeah because she's a kid and she has survivor's guilt and it probably led to the family making like another kind of dumb decision where <laughs> yes. she gets impregnated yeah and it's like it's dumb but You'd understand why they'd want to do that, probably because they have this terrible hole exactly. inside. It makes sense for the characters. Yeah. And that death causes a void between the daughter and John Krasinski, her dad, because yeah. you know, because of the atmosphere of silence around them and that psychological it's silence. It's just compounded. It's compounded and yeah. she assumes that he doesn't love her yeah. and he blames her for the her brother's death and it's just left unsaid. That's why it's so fucking brilliantly cathartic yeah. at the end when John Krasinski says to both of them, like, I love both yeah. of you, and he means it. And, like, in any other movie, it would feel kind of weak source. Exactly. But you know what it means to her to hear that. Yeah. So it's so fucking sad when he does that and, like, he sacrifices himself yeah. for them. It's moving, and uh, the reason why it's moving is because... The foundation's the, there. Exactly. The movie sets it up, and it uses what is essentially, like, the set dressing or the um, the surface-level gimmick of the movie, which is the horror element, to reflect back the themes of the movie. Yeah. You know, like, it's more cathartic because of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, I think, the strength of this movie, as opposed to Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. Who uses the gimmick as just a gimmick well um to sort of <laughs> vaguely make a connection i rewatched jaws the other day uh-huh. and to connect this to a quiet place yeah like it's not that movie is not really about the shark but it's about brody like the main guy yeah getting over his fear of the water yeah and his feelings right. of inadequacy yes and a quiet place is similarly about like a father and his kids yes. and having to get them ready like yeah. there's a real emotional thrill line that enhances the horror that's yeah. why it sort of reminded me of jaws and also the tension like, yeah obviously was like reminiscent of that as well because yeah. um hitchcock had this like saying where it's not the bomb explosion that's scary but it's the ticking 
beforehand. Yeah, it's the bomb under the the bomb under the table. Something about a bomb under a table. <laughs> when you know the bomb's under the table and it's ticking, that's very, the scariest bit. And that's like this movie because the bomb goes off early and then yes. it's ticking literally in her stomach. Yeah. And like any time they make a noise. Yeah. So I I just have a feeling Krasinski watched a lot of Jaws to study yeah. that shit before this movie because I saw some parallels there. Um, yeah, wonderful movie. Great movie. It also felt like he saw like Cloverfield as well. Just, especially the monster. Yeah, design. the design of the monster. It's incidental at the end of the day. Like, yeah, it doesn't not, matter what it, it looks like. It doesn't matter in the movie because of how well made it is. Yeah. That, you know, the idea of the threat is enough. We don't actually have to see it. Mm. Um, I wasn't even, you know, it wasn't anything special, the design of the monster, but... It was um, functional. It was functional. That in a J.J. Abrams movie, once the monsters show up, the movie, I'm thinking of things like Super 8 here, where once the monster shows up, the movie deflates because you're just like oh that's what we've been building up to he's a guy who like teases things though doesn't he jj abrams he's really good at it but he's not really good at knowing what to do after the twist is revealed because he essentially put all the eggs in one basket the mystery box basket. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> One basket box. Doesn't matter what's in the basket box as long as we have it and there's a string attached and we can <laughs> yank it from people. Doesn't matter if there's nothing in there. That's right. So, yes. I'm excited for Krasinski's <laughs> next directorial movie. This is such a strong outing. I know. It's fucking... I'm like, what could he do next? Because he, he, made, he made this probably with, like, no money. Yeah. So maybe a lot of money will kill him. But do, do you think he'll now be pigeonholed as like horror film director with a heart kind of thing? I don't think so. I think it's just there's a reality that making horror films are the cheapest films to make. Yeah. Well, this movie made is a surprise box office hit, right? How much did it make? Fifty million on like its opening weekend. Yeah, that's nuts. It probably doubled its budget. Yeah, and then some. I don't know what the marketing cost. Yeah. But I assumed it doubled its budget just from this weekend alone. And what's interesting is that this is a Paramount Studios movie, which, you know, Mm, was the subject of our previous podcast for famously choosing not to distribute... um, Annihilation. Annihilation. Yeah. And and just selling it to Netflix, which is Well, this this is more of a straightforward thriller. And John Krasinski and Emily Blunt are like, bigger names than anyone in another oh natalie portman no 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 i take that back (laughs) oscar isaac this this movie is clearly like a crowd pleaser yeah yeah i think they knew that there's nothing to understand you know you're not not gonna leave angry and confused which you could with annihilation this is like a straightforward like event at the movies like you know like a some other horror movie that's you're not gonna miss anything yeah. from this movie it's yeah. very straightforward just because you don't it's a thriller ha- yeah it's not really really that interested in actually exploring its world no yeah, it's exactly. not at yeah. all it's thrills and chills and yeah. whatnot which is Good very emotions. worrying that there are now rumors of paramount looking to do a quiet place too what really yeah or like a quiet place cinematic universe Fuck that. That's the stupidest fucking idea. I read that recently and I'm just like, I'm just flabbergasted because I hope that's not true. I think think it's just a rumor going around. Yeah. But look, you can see it happening, right? Because it made so much money. Because they had money chases. Yeah. And And also, it does have that kind of universe that would trick you into thinking that, hey, there would be more stuff that could happen, right? Yeah. You know, a la Cloverfield. 
But the movie's universe, as well established as it is, barely holds together because that's not the point of the movie. Exactly. It's like The Walking Dead should not be a TV series because <laughs> it's very fucking limited with what you can tell with that kind of story. Ooh, even hot, more hot so, take here. even take fuck The Walking Dead, but <laughs> even more so with this because nobody can talk. Like it's a gimmick that's good for a movie. Yeah. Like, how, are you? Are we seriously going to watch another movie where more, nobody talks? More people can't talk. Like, yeah. We've, you've exhausted the gimmick, which and and it's perfectly done. That's it. it. Yeah. It's a wanna. Yeah, it's a good one. It ends well. <laughs> what else do you want to do? Like, and you know, without John Krasinski, I, I don't know. Yeah, I assume he wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, mean, the second. Yeah, I don't know. They'll probably do it even cheaper and dump it on a streaming site and whatever. Yeah, I assume they they want to do it because it's ultra cheap and a lot of people saw this and liked a- exactly, it. Exactly, mm, exactly. It's a really no brainer it. from a marketing perspective anyway. or a business perspective, but. Um, I hope they don't do that. Yeah, just leave well <laughs> enough alone. Yeah, uh, give him money to make something else, and yeah. then put in the trailers from the director of The Quiet Place and the guy from The Office, and you're fine. Exactly. Yeah. Give John Krasinski money to do another hit for you. Yeah, don't give him like a hundred million dollars or something like that. Just <laughs> if you want to make those profits, just give him a little middling budget. <laughs> make that money back. Yeah. Uh, should we go into Ready Player One? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Is my name's Wade Watts. My dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego, like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner. But he died when I was a kid, my mom too. And I ended up here. Sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere. There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere. Except the Oasis. Okay. So, um, did you first off before we start? Have you ever read the shitty book? Because I haven't. No, I have not. And the book does not appeal. The book does not sound interesting to me in the slightest. Yes, no. I mean, I've seen excerpts here and there, and I knew okay, and I'm like, <laughs> not for me. No fucking thanks. All right, let's just let's just start. Okay, Ready Player One is directed by Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Um. Not and that you can tell, really. <laughs> it could have been directed by anybody. Yeah, it's essentially you know he would sell it to you as a celebration of '80s pop culture or our relationship to pop culture or our relationship to nostalgia. That's how he tried to sell it. That's to you. That's how he tries to sell it to you. Selling right? is the key word. Exactly. Because, and yeah. do you want to tell us the premise of this movie? Well, I guess it's set in like a 2040 or something like that. I think I think it was 50, wasn't it? Or 50, yeah. So it's the world's gone to shit. It's like a dystopia as it always is. And like, so they tell us. That's what they say. You don't really know. <laughs> you don't know because you what the, what state you, the world is. You in. have no idea. You get vague references to like, uh, everything just went to shit. <laughs> the bandwidth wars was mentioned. I'm like, is that a joke? <laughs> what the fuck? Like, I, anyway, I don't want to rant, but yeah. So everyone sort of <laughs> enters this oasis, which is a virtual reality world. Yeah. And it's, you know, you, you're an avatar and you can do anything and it's like a giant video game. And Yeah, so it's like a VR universe. It was, it was right? invented by this awkward, what's his name? Professor Halliday. Halliday, And he, yeah. he's left three Easter eggs. So before he died, he leaves... Three Easter eggs or the, three keys three, in the game. Yeah, within the game. And if... A player could collect all three. Yeah, they get majority share of the game. They get right? to control the oasis. Yeah, and presumably get trillions of dollars. Yeah, 
So we follow this our young protagonist Wade Watts. Yep. And he yep. he he's obviously obsessed with all this shit, and that's all you really know about him. He has no like defining personality. He lives really. in the quote unquote slums of the stacks. The stacks. Stacks. That's, that's of what it's called. So it's trailer like, parks on top of each other, <laughs> yeah, which is sort of a neat visual. It's which cool. You don't get much of or yeah. know about, but whatever. and then we cut. Just quickly jump forward, and then we cut to a scene where they bring him to where the rebel base is. And it's like gentrified Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, like in the middle of the movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's when it got really confusing. Anyway. Because he plays this game like everybody else. He yeah. wants to get those keys and inherit the Oasis. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, there's this like corporate guy, Ben yeah. Mendelssohn. I forgot his name. And he wants to control the o- Oasis well, and yeah, all that so stuff. Yeah, it, so there's a... It's hard to understand how the economics of this world all is. The, all they say is, if you lose your shit in the Oasis, you, it's like losing your shit for real. Yeah. So you get this quick scene of like a Japanese businessman, like playing the game at work. Yeah. He dies and then he's about to commit suicide. Yeah. He's about to jump off a window. And it, yeah. Someone tackles him and he doesn't die. And that's played As for a joke. Laughs. And I'm like, that's wait. That's played for a last. Hilarious. What the fuck? That's so funny. I'm Isn't like, that's it so funny that the guy want to commit suicide because of a game yeah like what the <laughs> hell like that's what i mean like spielberg is too much of an old man for this movie because he, right, 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 he right, regards right. this as a joke like or he i think it just the movie felt contemptuous but i don't want to yeah. get too Let, let's get <laughs> let's talk through I, the premise yeah. of the, sh- the movie I had and a, get our shit together i had a problem with that scene <laughs> Because immediately you don't understand what this world is that yeah, that would even don't. happen. Okay, so this is a dystopian world, right? Supposedly, Sh- yeah. shit is so bad um, that everyone wants to escape into the oasis, and that's what makes it so wonderful, right? There's a line like, um, "Everyone goes to the oasis for what they could do, but they stay for what they can be," which is a a line that doesn't make any sense at all. It's corny as hell, too. It, like, it makes no logical sense. Um, and that's how it's sold to you. But then we get scenes of, like, people working in normal office buildings. and you're It just looks like, like today. Yeah, it looks like today. I'm like, what's the big deal? I don't know. It looks like today. The uh, only time you would know this is dystopia is with the trailers parked on yeah, top of each other. That looks like a cool innovation. <laughs> I know. That looks like it's solving the problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, frankly. And when you see them running on the street, at the end of the movie you're it's like, like any oh, place it looks fine like it looks London like, or something it looks like they're like running on the streets of wall street or something yeah so i don't i don't get this world so first of all, al- already the world doesn't set up how bad it is i don't see the difference even visually that much between the oasis and the real world <laughs> because the oasis in this like 90% of it, it looks like a fucking nightmare. Like, it looks so dark and. It's very messy. It's it looks messy. horrible. Like, I need to buy that people want to live in the oasis because you can do anything. But it's visually so ugly and drab yeah. that I, I disconnect every time <laughs> it's the oasis, which is like a good 80% of the movie. So, Wade Watts plays this guy. Oh, yeah. So, Wade Watts. <laughs> So he essentially, you know, being the main character of the movie, he's the one that has fully researched, you know, so um, the inventor of the game catalogs most of his life in this library, right? Yeah, museum or something. And essentially, you know, or you can solve these Easter eggs by knowing his pop culture influences and his motivations in life. 
mm-hmm. really learn the most about this guy, and you'll find the answer essentially. So you're saying this guy's like a giant narcissist? He is asshole. He is. <laughs> yeah, he most definitely. <laughs> Even is. though Mark Rylance plays him like we're supposed to empathize with yeah, him. Yeah, like so he, weird. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Everyone found out what the first challenge is to get to it's the like a first race. key. It's a race. Isn't yeah, it? it's a race. It's a car chase. You know, a Need for Speed esque sequence. But everyone keeps dying because there's the giant King Kong. That looked great. They looked nice. Um, there's the Tyrannosaurus Jurassic Park esque dinosaur. Oh yeah, they're like chasing. Them. Yeah, and then Wade Watts drives a DeLorean. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. Back <laughs> to the Future. And then the yeah. girl character. Artemis. Artemis. That's his love interest. Yeah. The love interest <laughs> the lady. Love the love interest. Designated love interest. They have similar... Drives yeah. the Akira bike. Which was cool to see Which the Akira bike. Which was very cool to see as well. So, look. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because I will bag on But the... that's the thing, right? It, it's like the movie... That's why people who like this movie likes the movie. It's the thrill of seeing the pop culture references or the pop culture that you grew up with uh, in a different context on screen you know it's very exciting to see king kong it's very exciting to see someone driving a delorean because that's what we want to do you know we want to drive a delorean that's that's what it's supposedly this movie's supposed to be it's like an escapist yeah. thing and and you know that's what the sell for oasis is which is you can be whatever you want to be provided that you know you go through the levels and you like buy shit and yeah. like and like buy the right gear and get the right points that's not even like established correctly yeah or, it, or it's, in a logical it way. makes sense in a vague arcade way yeah. like oh you smash that guy then you the coins float into your yeah. hand and that's like your money when someone starts in the game what are they do I they just have no idea are they whoever they want to be like how do they get Let's say if I start and I want to be Harry Potter. Or Why are they know that? Or like Potters. Power Rangers. That'd be cool. Yeah, I would be a Power Ranger. <laughs> For a little bit. For a little bit, yeah. yeah. But um, where do I get it? Like, where do I get the wand? You know, and does the wand have power? I mean, they, they won't bother explaining <laughs> this ever because... This movie just wants to put you through like very big action set yeah. pieces, essentially in the Oasis. They're not thinking it through and like, because um, from what I understand from the book, and I haven't read it, is that in the Oasis, there's like a public school. So people essentially go to school in the Oasis. And this is like, oh, not in the movie. That makes it sense. It shows how much like life is, virtual life has transformed real life. But all you really get from the movie is like a video game sense yeah. of why people would want to go on the oasis yeah which you know it, there's like a novelty to that at first because it's like oh look look at all this stuff going on it's pretty exciting but the movie is so fucking long and like there's so little variation it feels like yeah within those oasis scenes it gets monotonous yeah like when artemis and the main guy percival wade watts are at the club i just wanted to just check out completely but there was another hour of movie <laughs> it was it was horrible yeah <laughs> It also just looks like, I think also this movie came out 10 years too late. Well, the book is pretty old now. Like it, it was eight years ago. Yeah. The well, book came out. this, if this movie came out 10 years ago, even then, but even, even if it came out, if it came out 10 years ago, just what does it reference? Right. If you think about the references in this movie, 
the references that are integral to the plot, by the way, not just like side gags of um, Harley Quinn oh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or like Overwatch or yeah. um, a Halo. It's just like you see them for a split second and that's it. Mm. Um, the actual references they have in the movie, like Breakfast Club, right? Like Buckaroo Benzai gets Buc- mentioned. Buc- yeah, I'm like, like which kid in 2045 or 2070? Would like talk about Buckaroo Benzai. I mean, just think about that scene where they're like, um, where uh, <laughs> where Ben Mendelsohn is trying to convince Wade Watson that he's on his side, that he's not just some corporate shell, that, that he's also a cool kid like him. He's like, look, my favorite music is Duran Duran. <laughs> and it's because that's the funny thing about that scene, because during that scene, right, it's you're supposed to think he's bad because he's spouting yeah. this shit without giving it any context yes. and the appearance of being cool and i'm like wow but that's what this fucking movie yeah, is yeah that's it's, <laughs> it's ironic because that ben mendelson unbeknownst to steven spielberg is steven spielberg exactly he's like trying to go hey i know cool shit and look at all like, this cool shit right <laughs> and it's and he, he even says you know oh Hey, if I have control of the schools, I'll turn all the canteens to breakfast club or something like that. And and he's like, yeah, yeah, that that'd be awesome. And I'm like, this is like 2050. That's. How- <laughs> do you know why? Because the author who wrote this was obsessed with like 80s stuff. Yeah. So, but that's all the book and like this story kind of is. It's just him like jerking off <laughs> to like his childhood stuff. And fuck the logic, fuck world building, anything like that. Put in like a boilerplate story about a guy (laughs) who has to find things, three things. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's really an excuse to just um, throw these characters on screen, throw these uh, references on screen. Yeah. And that's really it, because... Connected together with this vague uh, sort of, you know, Easter egg hunt, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory story. And, and but the the storytelling in this film is egregious because that, yeah there's a bit where um Ben Mendelsohn to prove how serious he fucking is about having the oasis and keeping it out of that yeah, dirtbag yeah. kid's hands he like kills his aunt and like his neighborhood like he fucking destroys it yeah and it adds nothing and it's not even really mentioned again he it doesn't he gets even over matter. it in a hot second it doesn't even matter because <laughs> he was gonna do what he was gonna do anyway yeah so like. It's so gratuitous. And that's what leads to another confusing scene of when Wade Watts gets kidnapped by the rebel headquarters people, by this bald guy, who's never seen again, and you don't even know what he's doing or what anyone's motivation is. So I was completely lost. That's the thing, right? It has no interest in its own characters. It doesn't give a fuck about (laughs) them. Like, it really doesn't. It has no emotional impact. Everything rings false. Yes. And... You know, his aunt dies. Whether she's a great person or not, she raised him. Gave and him like, a roof to live yeah. in. <laughs> and probably bought him that first goggle that he has to go into the Oasis. She didn't even seem that bad. So I don't understand what the punishment is because the, the dude seemed like an asshole. Yeah. But she just seemed sort of stressed out. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, Wade Watts doesn't even spend a second like mourning for her. And then it he's might like, as well all, right, happened. all right, let's get back into this game this for real game because what is the end message of this movie the end message of this movie is (laughs) um real life 
is real. Oh, you can't get a decent reel in the Oasis. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know anything about this real world. It doesn't matter to me and because like, I'm spending the whole time in a video game. Like, yeah, it's so disingenuous. So that's a fine look. For it's them. a fine message. It's a fine message. But in this movie, it's but a in joke. in this movie, you don't see it. You don't see that. You don't really even see, number one, the allure of the Oasis and how much better it is uh, than There's than no real contrast. Life. There's no contrast yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. And you don't really feel the kind of addiction that people have with the world because beyond the thrill of seeing your pop culture favorites come to life... Yeah. You kind of... It doesn't really look like a world I want to live no, in. No, it looks horrible. Like I was saying, yeah. a, a nightmare. <laughs> well, I will say this. The motion capture stuff was well done. Yeah. Like on the video game people. Like uh, Percival and Artis, Artemis, the designs are generic as fuck. But their emotions are expressed pretty well. Yeah. And I'm just trying to look for something positive <laughs> to add to this. Look, the Iron <laughs> Giant was dope. Oh, I hated that bit with the Iron Giant. Activate the Iron Giant. It's so terrible because it just, to me, it, that Iron, when he shows up at the end, right, the Iron Giant, and he's just wasting away everybody with his lasers. Yeah. Like, the whole point of the Iron Giant is that he doesn't want to be a weapon of war. And in the movie, they just thoughtlessly turn him yeah. into a big Iron Man thing. But that is a great... That could be a good way to comment on how people pervert, like... Uh, corporations or whatever pervert the intent of the artist to something it's not meant to be. Well, it's barely there though. That's not the point of the movie at all because this movie that's is what, exactly that. The perversion of like yeah. pop culture. It takes everything icons. that we love. It just saps and it of devoid it of meaning and soul, and just has them like bounce around off yeah. each other. And like, yeah. yeah, like that final fucking battle where like every computer video game character sort of colliding at each other. You don't know what anything is. You don't know what the motivation is. He gives this speech. Yeah. This very lame speech. And, oh, boy, like, talk about a terrible climax to, like, a movie. The the thing about this movie is that, you know, Just it, it's a wasted opportunity. That's what I, I think. There mm-hmm. is such a great opportunity here to comment on our relationship with pop culture. Yes. Our relationship with nostalgia. Yeah. And how... You know, big corporations use nostalgia to influence us, to get money out of us, to brainwash us, you know? Yeah. Like, and of course, the movie doesn't want to comment on that because counterintuitive that's a, to its yeah, conception. It's, it's literally, literally what it's doing to yeah. us. That would have been so interesting for them to explore that. And, and they touch on a few things that's like, oh, that'd be cool if they actually have the balls to comment on those things in this yeah. movie. But clearly. that's why I'm so confused with the reactions to this movie because with the first wave of critics talking about it and even some of the reviews now they're like praising it they were saying it was the best one of the best Spielberg movies in decades and I'm like this is like a Michael Bay movie yeah if this were a Michael Bay movie I would would probably enjoy this a lot because yeah your expectations would be so low (laughs) yeah and you'd be like oh well that's like an improvement yeah but for like Steven Spielberg this is like the biggest step down imaginable yeah this is like I wonder like how much of this like he actually directed because all of it was like computer CGI stuff yeah and he was making the post when ILM or whoever was actually rendering this movie yeah so he was like doing his thing he wanted to do. Yeah. While he, the computer he was doing his actual passion project. Yeah, which is like a you know, say what you will about it, but it's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just made by like people at, at a computer screen. Yeah. I mean and you feel that. 
I wouldn't be shocked if this just like got released on YouTube. This it, feels like dude, a YouTube movie. It should have been you just cut out every scene in real life. Yeah. And you just have the video game characters like punching each other. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. make it like half an hour long. Yeah. Because that's you get the same exact thing out of it, and you, you wouldn't have to pay twenty bucks. You know what? For this, a ticket. Re- this reminds me of I have never played that game before, but I've just been inundated with it. I want to say it's a game where like. Justice League oh, characters fight each DC other. DC Universe Online. I Is think. that what it's called? Yeah, because you get a lot of clips on you on. I've Facebook. seen cinematics of it and stuff. Is that what it is? Where you know so, they yeah. fight and then like when Harlequin wins, she says a joke. Oh wait, like, no, I know what you're talking about. I like, in, like injustice. Injustice. That's yeah. right. It, this feels like a an extended, all encompassing version of those videos. Not even a game, but like. Just those video clips. It's interesting because visually it looks like the similar as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, and it's and the fun of it, which you know, I it's fun to yeah. see characters you know interact in the same universe that they wouldn't have been. But that's what I wanted to sort of bring up with this as well. It's like, why wasn't this just like a video game? Yeah, because nobody, nobody on this planet is giving a fuck when like Ty Sheridan is meeting Olivia Cook. Exactly. And like being, I still think you're beautiful. I wanted to, because it's so transparent, right? It's so bare bones garbage yeah. that you're like, the moment when she said, you won't like me in real life. You're like, oh, he's going to like her in real life. She's going to be cute. Of course. And like, little did we know, she's even cuter she's than fucking the, her avatar. N- Natalie Portman. <laughs> Like, with, like, a tiny little scar on her eye that makes her look cool. And you... Yeah. (laughs) Instead of, like, ugly. And from what I understand from the the book, actually, is that she's kind of a slob in real life. That would be great. And, like, he's a slob. So, like, I'm not... I'm never going to read the book. But that's, like, something because you understand why they want to be these hot avatars. Yeah. But then you got two Hollywood pretty people. Yeah, they're better looking than their video game counterparts. And I'm like, why even keep that scene in where she's like, you wouldn't like me? Because it makes her seem like an asshole. (laughs) Like she's like, oh no no, you wouldn't you wouldn't like me. And it's like this fucking model. And and you get and oh the hair flip scene. I I was just saying like no no this (laughs) this is not happening. This is not happening. And just the whole time you're like, why? Just give us more. DeLoreans, you know, just give us more King Kong <laughs> smashing yeah. cars. I don't want to see this garbage story. Like. If you're going to insist on having the two actors like interact in real life, just have it be like a, a playfully antagonistic thing yeah. and get rid of this stupid you wouldn't yeah. like me in real life because it doesn't serve anything because obviously we have eyes yeah. and we can see that she's not like she's better looking than her avatar. It's so <laughs> the disconnect is so obvious and weird that I'm surprised, like, no one on set just went, stop, like, stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what like, are we doing? <laughs> yeah, like... This is not no, making no any one... lick of sense. Kathleen yeah. Kennedy, jump into this movie. And just stop fire Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and, like, get someone else in, because... Fix this giant clusterfuck. <laughs> but look, people liked it. A lot of people. It's, it's like, 75%. Did people like this? It's 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. But people like icing. Look, the icing is fine. Icing's cup, you need some bread, and there's like no bread. But you know what's hilarious? Yeah, in an interview, Mm. Steven Spielberg says the nostalgia, the pop culture references, they're not the point of this movie, they're just window dressing to the real story, which is about these kids (laughs) fighting. (laughs) Who the fuck are these kids? Corporate, uh, it's they're they're gold. It's like that 
that is so telling to me. The most interesting part of your movie is the set dressing. And the least interesting part of the movie is what you wanted to focus on. Why, why didn't your focus come through then? Yeah. Why, it's bullshit. It's, it's lies, obviously. It's, it's marketing shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I felt this more than anything, just being a standard bad movie, this made me feel bad for wasting, like, spending my time on pop culture things. It, Re- it yeah. just weirdly made me feel, like, depressed. And not yeah. in the way the movie intended. Because if my, like, buying. Marvel shit or whatever, like Harry Potter, if that just contributes to like movies like this yeah. and people like it, I just want to be out of it completely. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with it. It was Hey, maybe that was his point all along. <laughs> if that's true, then he's a genius. <laughs> he's a genius director. If this is really like the most contemptuous and cynical movie of no, all time. Of course not, right? Because he doesn't not. have any contempt yeah. in his heart. He barely paid attention to the making of this movie. He wasn't there. He was making the post. <laughs> Uh, it's also very telling that he doesn't want to add any references to his own movies. He doesn't here, want right? his shit infected by this <laughs> garbage, that's why. Well, look, he, from his version of the story is that he's, like, humble, right? He doesn't want to... Bullshit. He doesn't want to... Bullshit. No ways. He, he just does not want his stuff. Did you hear at the South by Southwest where this movie yeah. premiered? Yes. He um, introduced a film and yeah. he said, everybody, this is a movie, not a film. Like, he used those words as a qualifier. Interesting. So that lets you know he thinks very lowly. He, at the this. very least, is not ambitious with the story that he wants to tell. He knows movie. it's just like a virtual a simulator ride at Disneyland or Warner Brothers Land yeah. or whatever the yeah. fuck. And I'm like, okay, but you still, like, made this and it sucks. <laughs> so thanks for the qualifier, yeah, but it still stinks. Yeah. It's Put horrible. this in the poster. Put that line in the poster. This is not a film. It's a movie. <laughs> like, why even? Why even get Olivia Cook? Like, what a waste of Olivia Cook. Have you Have you seen Mia on the Dying Girl? Yes, she's great. Br- brilliant in that. Great dramatic actress, and she's good in it. She's good in this movie. She does what she can. Yeah, she does what she can, and I like watching her. In many ways, she's the best character of the movie because she is the one that you know. This is another inkling of a storyline that could have been good because she her dad died because of some garbage plot corporate man yeah whatever so but her dad dies because of um corporate control over the oasis right so she reveals that in the in 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 the the oasis and yeah and yeah you you go i just wanted to add that this funny thing happened when she said that to him like she's like it's not a game yeah. my dad was killed by this this is real and in my head i was thinking huh like her saying that actually made me care less <laughs> like i was like how is that happening like how do i care less like that should be on paper where it'd be like oh right this matters because her dad died but that's okay. somehow i care less <laughs> like that's how incompetent it was that's the thing right because she tells him you don't know you think this is all just a game but it has real life consequences yeah and that is well to me anyway that was an inkling of like oh yeah that could be cool if you think from the perspective of this guy is just playing this game because it's a fun game and yeah. you know he's seeing this he just as wants a game, to escape his lame life d- yeah exactly and, and she wants to and she wants to change the world yeah right because this or, game is the world exactly now. and she sees this corporate control over this game as an oppressive oppressive system uh and she that's what she you know she wants to break that and what he wants to do is have control of the game and like have awesome game stuff yeah and that's an interesting 
plot point or a character motivation something on paper it is on paper it, it is, is. it's but good the movie never follows through on that it's because, just more window dressing yeah that's what it was because they could have even hammered that home when they killed his aunt and that's when he fully realizes How, the real world yeah. real world consequences of the game so that's but, that this ant thing is important because it's a turning point for a film because yeah. it could have either really like stepped up yeah but instead it just like set itself on fire you know i enjoyed the film for the popcorn fluff that it is yeah up until that point when his aunt died yeah that was when the movie went way downhill for me yeah for sure like it i the second half is undoubtedly worse yeah than the first the more it went on the more angry i got yeah because it's like treating the audience like they're idiots yeah you're like they're like, hey, you guys are idiots, right? You're just distracted by this flat, like this flashy shit that I'm throwing at you. Oh, like, here's the illusion of uh, it getting more yeah. intense. Oh, his aunt dies. Although I have to say, yeah, my favorite sequence in this movie is the Shining recreation. It's like that. It's that great. wasn't half bad because it was a pretty cool recreation, and it wasn't total CGI yeah. nightmare fuck. It's also not gratuitous it's like a shining light of what this movie could be which is to use our own knowledge of like pop culture to raise the stakes or even create some tension and what i'm thinking about it is the scene where the um big guy who's a girl oh yeah the, uh, master of none yeah master of none actress yeah she's really good in master of none she's and very she good. plays this uh her avatar is this uh big dude yeah ro- this i i want to say rock guy but i, I see made a rock guy, yeah, anyway whatever hulk let's let's call him hulk guy hulk, hulk guy and and hulk guy goes towards the elevator and us as an audience or people who have seen the shining we're internally going no like we know what's coming out yeah. of that yeah yeah our knowledge of that gives like builds tension for the movie yeah for it's- that scene at least and i felt like oh yeah this could the movie could do that if your movie was just window dressing this could have been that yeah but it's far and few between yes yeah. these moments and it, it annoys me even more because that character you're talking about like uses their avatar to be not even their gender and i'm like why with all these supporting characters who have interesting things going on are we focusing on this fucking jaramene's guy like don't even get me started on the garbage asian characters that are in this movie oh that's they right are just like the 11 year old boy who furniture yeah his joke is like what you don't know i'm 11 it's like why can't he be 11? It's a game. <laughs> yeah, I know. Why not? Why yeah. Why are people surprised that he's young? It just seemed like a lame sort of dated thing. Yeah, it's like a dumb joke for an old man who has no idea what games are. Yeah, and that's what this this whole felt like. There's even there's even little things that when the um she's in the shining sequence yeah. and she's like, "Am I getting punked?" and I'm like, "What a dated reference." Yeah. <laughs> what the f- no one says punked now, not yeah. much less like a half a century in the future. Are you telling me, like, punked persisted? <laughs> like, come on. And, and here's the thing, right? Yeah, I get it. It's based on a book that is very specifically paying homage to, like, 80s pop culture or, I don't know. You know, Whatever the is, author is obsessed with yeah, yeah. is what it's paying homage This is, to. like, 30 years into the future from now, or 40 years. And, like, there's no Hunger Games. There's no Harry Potter. There's no... <laughs> Um, Apparently Star Wars doesn't exist. Look, Marvel I, doesn't exist. I know that yeah, Marvel doesn't. That's hilarious. <laughs> you know I, it's because they don't have the rights and whatnot. Yes, yeah. I. 
<laughs> I know that it's because they don't have the rights to it, but it's just like emphasizes that this movie isn't even doesn't even do right what even on the surface level it wants to do, which is to give you mindless you know references to pop culture that you consume. It doesn't even have many of the most formative pop culture references of our of our time. He even excludes his own filmography. Which would have made sense because he's the fucking director. Because he's the godfather of like all this shit. Generating... There's probably no book without him. Yeah, like... and the choice to exclude himself from this narrative is mind-boggling. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. I don't understand. Uh, the only way I know I can, in which I can understand it, is that he's embarrassed. But then it's like, why direct this? Yeah, then you then don't have don't to direct do it. it. Don't do it because it doesn't ring true. It doesn't ring true even at the most basic level of. Hey, we love 80s pop culture. I mean, the pop culture shit, it's just like going to a Funko Pop store. Like, you know, there's all the Funko Pops and yeah, they look different on the outside, but they're all the same same fucking shape and it's all like plastic junk. I think this could have actually been a really good um, VR, like, imagine this, That's what I mean. It should be a video game. Like, it should be a video game. It should be... Steven Spielberg directing the first ever VR movie. Yeah, yeah, even that. Like, like half an hour. Yeah. Not, and, I don't want to be it, in there for two yeah, hours. Yeah, not two half hours. Half an hour. And and that would have been a game changer. Like, the guy who invented the blockbuster is now inventing a VR yeah, movie uh, or something like yeah, that. Imagine yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You know, that'd be cool. But what ends up happening is a guy who invented the things that we love regurgitating things that we love for money that's what it that's is. that's really it yeah and it's and it's just hilarious that that is also the plot of the movie and the, the they're the villains yeah and they're the villains the and and steven spielberg sees himself on the side of i assume the protagonists when he's the villain of this story it reminds me of his peer uh george lucas when he was making the prequels he had to make because I read a big book about George Lucas's life. He made the prequels because the employees he was responsible for on the Lucasfilm payroll yeah. were getting laid off because right. there wasn't a lot of money being generated. And he's like, "I'm responsible for all these people. I got to pay them, so I have to make these movies to keep my business, which I built from nothing, going." And he compared himself to like Lord Vader, like a man trapped in a machine. And uh, I thought, I thought that's so sad and ironic. That is, yeah. And I don't know. I just get, I get vague echoes of that in this movie. That but he's trying like a he, tragic, like noble. It's a noble thing to do. Essentially, to, yeah. Essentially. But if, this if, is tragic, not because it's noble, but because it just seems like he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, and it, it seems cynical. Yeah, you know? it had the opportunity to look. You're Steven Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This movie could have been your definition of you know how people uh, or properties or movies these days just recycle nostalgia i'm gonna make a statement with this movie it's like a rebuttal yeah it could have been that but it's him participating in the commercializing of nostalgia because you know when you saw the trailer it, it it plays in the same vein of like things like stranger things and the it remake where it's it's like oh what's it selling it's really selling your nostalgia of um, movies that you saw or stuff that you consume as a kid but stranger things uses it in a brilliant way right yes. it, it uses that nostalgia to give you a like a unique and refreshing and updated 
story. Yeah. And but then there are other movies that really are just focused on oh hey, let's just sell nostalgia. Yeah. And when this movie came out, I was worried that it it could be just that, but then I was like no, Steven. This is Steven Spielberg, right? He intelligent man. Yeah, exactly. Think. And and I saw the trailer. I was like, oh, it's about a game. There has to be something more. Like there has to be a twist. There has to be something. That's what more I was thinking. Because I remember is. seeing the Lego Movie trailer and thinking, come on. Yeah. And then you see the movie, and it's actually very subversive. Exactly. So I thought, oh, yes. could be a similar thing. Lego Movie is a great example of people who are playing in that space, but it's done right because it resonates with us emotionally because it essentially talks about why we play with legos or why we did and what that means to like an old person and a boy exactly like that's the heart of that movie yes there is no heart to this (laughs) there is no no story besides some self-pitying old man going oh you can't get a decent meal (laughs) in uh, the virtual world Uh, and i'm like i don't even think i saw metaphorically or otherwise anyone even eat in like the yeah. real world so your message like means nothing it's just platitudes yeah. like it's like with that Pref- Halliday guy yeah it's it's interesting because I don't know how different if he's like a Spielberg avatar where like he sort of looks back on all this pop culture stuff he kind of is the grandfather of whether he looks at it with sort of like regret like oh, I never I never kissed a girl you know or went outside or whatever <laughs> And I don't know whether he's like that in the book or if it's a way for Spielberg to talk about himself. But either way, it's like so unearned and cheap. And it's supposed to be the crescendo of this movie. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's laughable. It's a joke. It's hilarious, but in the worst possible. I laughed at the end of the movie when the police show up. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like... Oh, this world has police people yeah, in yeah, it? Yeah. This then, movie has a government? It's like, why are they arresting the corporate guy? <laughs> yeah. That's when I really knew this was like a fantasy. I'm like, come on. And like, this guy I was. I thought this was a dystopia. And uh, this guy was willing to kill people and he to, gotta, get yeah. to, to get to what he wants. Yeah. And we are supposed to buy that the moment he sees Wade crying through his shitty goggle. Visor. God, yeah, yeah, that he's like has a change of heart. Why? It's, Why? It's the worst sort of cliche of saccharine Spielberg stuff. I don't. <laughs> it makes no it's, sense. I'm speechless because this is from Steven Spielberg, who yeah. is like a master storyteller. Yeah, and he turns this garbage out. Well, he made Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal. Yeah, so he did. He's not yes. averse to making shit. He's not. But that was just very disappointing. Like, <laughs> this was like a pain to like, sit through. You couldn't you even know? follow, like, wait, what is the emotional through line of this movie? Like, what is the theme? What are the themes yeah, of this movie? I had no At idea. the end, they, they um, win the egg, and they get full control, and he's like, well, um, so here's what we did. We gave we close it for two days we, we, a week we, or something okay we established that life for everyone was so bad that the only escape was oasis that's yeah and second life everyone came to mm. fight for oasis to save it yeah. from this corporate shell yeah right and what does the main character do at the end of the at the end Okay, you you fought really hard to save this. Now you can't play this game for two days of the of your shitty lives. Yeah, 
And uh, it's because, you know, hey, uh, real life is better. Go walk and take a deep breath outside. But it's like, you keep talking about how fucking garbage real life is. So unless you're going to implement a storyline where characters have to be like, we have to, like, solve our problems in the real world. Yes. We have to because this, this... we can't just bury our heads in the yeah. sands, which is what we're doing in the digital thing. Yeah. We have, but there's never the a conversation no. about we have to solve our problems yeah. because you don't know what the problems are because they're never brought up. It's it, it's just the lamest <laughs> thing of like, oh, go outside like a couple of times a yeah. week. Yeah. What? What? Like, I, my, are you why? seriously fucking telling me <laughs> that, <laughs> that the message of this movie is that video games are bad? Go get to go for a walk at this in the sunshine. I think in the Spielbergian way, he's saying, "Well, this stuff is great, but it's also great to go outside." That's that's all it, which is not even a message. But like that is the end. That's that the is, that's the, the thesis. Supposedly makes that decision yeah. in the movie, and we close out on that. We close out on that, and it's just something disgusting about see- seeing them. Sitting in their happy, like, rich mansion and nice went, like, chair. hey, we like force people to confront their shitty lives. Yeah. And uh, we're in this rich tower. The end. Yeah, that's that's all it is. I, like, I don't. I don't know why it's so great that they now own the Oasis other <laughs> yeah. than they're the plucky underdogs because I have no idea what they really want to do yeah. with it. Do they even know how to run, like, a business? Yeah. <laughs> What the fuck? Like, like something that how, big as well. Who are they? Uh, What's to stop them from just being like the corporate overlords? Because like you have to be that to a certain extent if you're owning this. Like because they essentially own the internet yeah. at the end. And I thought, you know, maybe that was the role of Simon Pegg, which is like, you know, he takes care of the commercial side of things. And also he looks out for the interest of... Halliday as a character, right? Because yeah. essentially, Simon Pegg is the Steve Jobs, and Halliday is like Wozniak. Yes, right. Yeah, good, good parallel. But the movie, the movie incorrectly identifies Halliday as the Steve Jobs because character because you see a newspaper that's like um, better than Jobs. Yeah, like Halliday right. better than Jobs. And yeah. I'm just like fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> but like fuck you, movie. <laughs> and and that's interesting, and I like that where they went with the uh, storyline with the friendship. But where does it go? What is the why, theme here? Where's the payoff? Why is Simon Pegg the robot butler? Yeah, what was the emotions there? Why? So are we to believe that is he just a voice of the robot, or is the he avatar. the one? I think ma- the avatar. So He's the avatar. he has to man the library twenty four seven. It's like why would he do that? And didn't they fall out of? Like, yeah. didn't they have a fallout in their friendship? Why is now Simon Pegg, like, the kind of officiator of the new, like, Halliday company? Like, I, I just, it makes no sense. Why was why was he in charge of the whole game if they broke, <laughs> because, broke off? Because movie. Because <laughs> the movie had to happen. <laughs> I don't know. This, okay. There's no other explanation. I Is it me also aside? Or was Simon Pegg like really terrible in this he movie? Was, well? Like, look, he didn't he didn't have much to work with. He had this why, stupid accent in the wig. Why did you get Simon Pegg in it? Like, I guess he was cool as a robot, but like, you could have gotten anyone. Anyone else. Yeah. It's just because he's the... He's another guy in real life. He's like a sort of lord of nerd ephemera. Mm, mm. But um, that's really the only reason he's there. I mean, he's in like two scenes, isn't he? he? Is, Three yeah. scenes, and they had a falling out because what? 
Halliday went on a date with a girl, and then Simon Pegg married that girl much yeah. later. And that's why Halliday's like all sad. Is that why Halliday's all sad? Yeah, because there's that Easter egg of the girl. I use I yes, but I thought, wow. And it's like, oh my god. No, well, the movie insinuates that, which this is my okay. Of all the pop culture references, this is the most egregious reference it's ever made. It's Ooh. made, which is yeah, I know you're talking about. You're his rosebud. And fucking, 18, I wanted to like shoot myself. Eighteen-year-old boy yeah. in two thousand and fifty, making just, that reference. Yeah, just made a reference to Citizen King. And and the the worst part is it's not even a reference in the pre- context of the premise of the movie. Like it's you don't see like a sled in the world. This is how haphazard this movie is. Is that they just think it's okay for this kid to just know and just say that. Yeah, even though you like were scratching your head over that because you're like, how? Oh, yeah, what? I mean, but it, it's just there. It's I I hated it. I hated it so much. And he t- so he tells Simon Pegg like the remorse or the sadness isn't about losing the girl in a sense. It's about losing you as a friend. I think that's oh, was that what? To that be was fair, all about? to be fair, yeah, I think that's what. It's what all over about. like a girl he went on like a date with and it didn't like get over it. I don't know. It was so lame. <laughs> But, uh, but you know, I was just very annoyed with the movie at that point I anyway. I was, yeah. And I think one of my least... Because we're on the hate train, the haterade train. <laughs> one of my fucking least favorite lines of this movie is when Ben Mendelsohn is reciting all the pop culture stuff. Yeah. And Wade Watts, like, calls him out and says, Oh, a fanboy can always tell a hater from, like, a real fan. <laughs> and it's like, that's supposed to be the moment where you're like, Yeah, I'm on this kid's side. Yeah. But I was just like, fuck this kid. Like, yeah. He's so unlikable. He, he <laughs> is annoying. It's so annoying. Like, it really... Like, what's a real... Uh, just What are you talking about? <laughs> like, just at the most... Also, when he says to her, I think you're beautiful. To like a 10 out of 10 Natalie Portman looking <laughs> yeah, motherfucker. Yeah, h- how brave of you. What a nice guy to call <laughs> Actually, a, a beautiful girl yeah, beautiful. beautiful. I think that was my least favorite. That was like terrible. That was like my least favorite line and scene. So anything we like? Any, is it <laughs> Look, else? I love The Shining. I have to the say. Shining the Shining sequence before the whole the zombie, zombie bullshit. That's, yeah. That was, you know, it looked pretty cool. I love seeing the twins. Um, it was a nice visual break, if yeah, nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Just I, from the fucking, <laughs> like, dingy toilet shitty ink. What was your favorite scene? Or uh, anything? Uh, probably the probably the opening scene where well, he takes off the VR and he's, like, climbing down the ladders. That's a great opening scene, and I think. Yeah, it's great because it, there's that trademark sort of Spielberg camera flowing. Yes. And it feels like you're seeing... How people like how people live. Yeah, and it establishes the universe well. At that, you know, I kind of like, oh, that's cool. You know, you see someone like a fat old lady, yeah, on a on a pole, yeah. you know, and and things like that, where you're just like, oh, that's. Um, it shows you what the world is without telling you what the world is. But then, of course, there's like silly stupid voice narration. Over. Yeah, voiceover that literally just tells you every single thing that happens <laughs> on screen, but. <laughs> I want to talk about the Oasis also as a world where it seems like the majority of the game is about battling and like it's about fighting and getting points because like Warcraft or something yeah because and and then but then we saw you know that lady on the pole and I'm like that's pretty 
if well, that's what the world became, I mean, that is what's cool about it. Not like more immersive battling. Like, yeah, I can't imagine that happening. Like, we're getting really close to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I want to see like a different world. You know, a different part of the game where it's just. Uh, I don't. Why couldn't we have seen like a FIFA homage where they, everyone's playing soccer in it? Because that would have been fun. <laughs> this movie's not fun. They but sort of hint something outside of battling when he meets up for a date. And I'm like, that's kind of like a neat idea on its own but, outside of this movie. But yeah. the date place is a battle zone. Isn't it a dancing club or something? But then didn't they say like, because that's why the, the people could like come in and shoot them because it's like, oh, yeah, it's a battle zone also. Well, that's bullshit, really. Isn't I, it? I, I thought it was just a club or something. But then didn't they? So they came in to attack them, right? I don't remember. I remember they go in this floaty hole. Yeah, and then that's when um, Ben Mendelsohn's people come yeah, to shoot them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The skull guy played yeah. by TJ Miller, who was super annoying in this <laughs> as well. Um, but so even in a dance club world, you're not safe from the battle elements. I don't understand. It also had that terrible Saturday Night Live, not live, Saturday Night Fever yeah. reference. Yeah. Like, aside from the kind of cool um, visual um, effect of seeing The Shining and them interacting, like, that's what's cool about it, because we see them interacting inside the movie. That was awesome. That's why I said visually it looks good, because it it looks, they're actually in the movie, and, like, there's these little avatars, like, shifting through it. Yeah. Like, why couldn't the other movie, the other scenes have this sort of visual inventiveness? Because the avatars, they look like they're just part of the generic background and it just looks like nothing and nothing else had that sense of wonder or sense of awe that's like whoa that's cool it feels like like the only scene i know for sure spielberg directed yeah because he was a huge kubrick he was a friend of kubrick and he loved you know the shine and everything else just looks like really good cgi and you know it's still just like bland it's, CGI. Like yeah. you, even at the the final battle is just just a clusterfuck. Yeah, it really is. We, you know, which is what you'd expect from a blockbuster movie, but not from Spielberg. Not from the guy who did the first ten minutes of Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, where yeah. that was a clusterfuck, but you had like a clear point of view. Yeah, there's a reason for it. It was like, so. It, it wanted you to feel like you are in the clusterfuck, not that like you can't follow what's happening you're like what yeah you can't immerse yourself in it at all yeah but um yeah this oh this is horrible this is like one of the worst movies i've seen this year really (laughs) i don't know what i what have i disliked more than this uh this movie reminded me of one of my one of the worst movies i've seen this year which is bright oh yeah but at least i could like laugh at how dumb some of bright stuff was. yeah actually yeah this was not this movie w- was not so bad it's good like bright was yeah. but the similarities it shared uh, with bright is the window dressing of these two movies doesn't cohere together with the central themes the plot it's actually the completely like incongruent. In, exactly, because with Bright, right, the gimmick or the window dressing is that it's about race. 
Yeah. Right? It's using its fantasy elements set in the modern times. The black people. You know, are, the orcs are uh, the marginalized communities. And it's about race, right? Like, yeah. that's what it sells itself as. But the central plot of the movie of Bright has nothing to do with the racism. It has nothing to do with, like, overcoming racism, understanding racism. Nope. It's about chasing a wand. Yep. That's really it. Just a dumb And no one maybe. learns anything. And also, the movie itself is inherently racist. Because the black people are <laughs> ugly fucking monsters. Yeah, and-, and I think they can do distance from that by having a black guy as a main character. <laughs> it's hilarious because you have the racism between people and orcs, and you have existing racist stereotypes between normal... Mexicans, racist. Yeah, like Mexicans are like gangsters. They like they're they're, they're their own kind of monsters with their tattoos and shooting up clubs. Painted in the worst light. Yeah, it's jarring, and it's that's why it's bad because it uses the window dressing as window dressing, but pays no attention to how the themes or the stories they want to explore. Like how A Quiet Place does, you Mm -hmm. know, it reflects its theme back into itself, and that's what makes it such a like a, a meaningful a piece of movie. art. Yeah. And whereas this one is just, they conflict with one another, which is hilarious. And it's the same with Ready Player One, where, you know, it uses nostalgia and it uses pop culture references as the window dressing. But the story is not really about that. It's not about our love of pop culture in any sense. Well, it's about that in the most surface level. Yeah. If you want to do like a double feature in how one movie does its theme right yeah and how one does it terribly watch the lego movie and then like watch ready player one just to see sort of the similarities uh, on a surface level yeah you know but then to see how one goes terribly wrong and how one does it flawlessly where it like makes you cry yeah i was genuinely moved by the end of lego movie and it's will ferrell making you cry as yeah. well will ferrell yeah so, yeah, don't even have to say anymore. It's such a well-done movie. Yeah. And it has it both ways. And it works so well because it plays up the Lego side of things. <laughs> it's basically a better done Ready Player One. Yeah, exactly. Because it has the pop culture stuff yeah, that we, well, we love. Gandalf is in it. It even cleverly, like, comments on Batman. Yeah. Like, just as a character. Like, he's, like, supposed to be the ultimate badass, but in, like, a different context where we're talking about more human emotions he's kind of like a immature doofus yeah and it's funny and it's enlightening yeah but this it's just uh, hey there's that hey there's that hey yeah. there's that and it doesn't mean a fucking thing and in some cases it actually like perverts the meaning of certain things it like does. the iron giant yeah so that's why i would say like just to compare them just to see how one does it right and how one does it wrong yeah but um yeah this i don't know this is one of the worst movies i've seen <laughs> yeah definitely now that i'm thinking about it and it was seven hours long. Like, it was so long. It felt like it went on forever. And you just get the feeling at the most basic level, I'm just watching someone play a video game and I don't have any control. I have a controller. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. You're just exactly. staring at, like, a video game. Exactly. You know? You can say whatever you want about the Star Wars prequels, but it's like, hey, there's actors. There's a set. This, it's, it's fucking overkill. It really is. It, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. Well, so this is. I mean, I'm glad we talked about it. Got it all out there. I felt actual catharsis. Me too. That I, the movie did not give me. Yeah, and uh, I was articulating some things that I didn't quite articulate out loud yet. I see. Yeah, I haven't talked about this. Yeah. All right. How many stars would you give a quiet place? I'd give it an eight and a half out of ten. 
Right. I'll give it a four out of five. Yep. This, I'd give a three out of ten. Yeah, it's low. It's not good. Yeah. So it's just kind of disappointing. I don't know. It's like, why... Why have Spielberg direct this? Why have this on his filmography? He doesn't even want it on his filmography. He said, it's a movie. Remember? Yeah, that's right. It's a movie. Jurassic Park is a film. Indiana Jones is a film. This is a movie. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Uh, I guess we're going to talk about Isle of Dogs next podcast, right? uh, Okay. We're going to get on Isle of Dogs. We'll talk about Isle of Dogs. That's a whole Um, other bag of cats. That is problematic in its own way. But we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Indeed. I can't wait to talk about it. Until next time. Bye. It was one of those days. One of the days where the sun had rays coming out of its face and little triangle shapes of design. Shades and a smile on his face and he's got mad love for the human race. One of the days where the sky was blue, the clouds were white and the bread was too. One of the where the breeze was mild, the grass was green, and the world was a scene that was drawn by a child. It was one of those days, one of the days when I was feeling glum. My ear was beating to only its own drum. My ear was beating to only its own drum. The world around was soccer and reggaeton. One of the days when I was feeling bad. I'd seen a band, but the band was bland. But the bland band was a band on the bandstand, and their whole damn vibe was you wouldn't understand. Everyone wanna be hip, no one wanna be wild. Everyone wanna be hip, no one wanna be wild. Everyone wanna be hip, no one wanna be wild. Everyone wanna be hip, no one wanna be wild. Everyone wanna be hip, no one wanna be wild. Everyone wanna be hip, so I thought I better go. And make love to the world dingo style So I hit the ground, hit the ground, hit the ground running A man on a mission with canine cunning You hit the ground, hit the ground, hit the ground running Cause the baseline's coming so self-congratulatory But everybody be stroking me and patting me But I'm a predator, I can't eat flattery Can't be mad at me, blame whoever let the dogs out Of the academy, man, it left me feeling like a raggedy and all Spread thinner than twin catamaran holes But now I got some more juice in the battery Howling at the moon, raise the roof off the canopy So when you hear the That'd be on a matter of here And when the moon's full and the billabong's clear The wolf pack's howl and the throng's near I try to sing but isn't the song queer I can't help but feel I don't belong here When the moon's full and the billabong's clear And the wolf pack's howl and the throng's near I try to sing but isn't the song queer I can't help but feel I don't belong here Where did he come from? Where did he come from? Where did he come from? Yo, it doesn't matter now I'm every man Cool and gathered a Parramatta Running from the blacker blacker Off trackers and trappers Bobcatter types and parasites in paradise Kinda like what I see A whole lot of these rappers like I'm not a hater, I'm a player Congratulator, but some of these rappers will bite Gotta say you got style. You never know that you were tropical. So show me your canines and let me see your smile. Everyone wanna be hip, no one wanna be wild. Everyone wanna be hip, no one wanna be wild. Everyone wanna be hip, no one wanna be wild. Everyone wanna be hip, no one wanna be wild. Everyone wanna be hip, no one wanna be wild. Everyone wanna be hip, so I thought I better go. And take it to the bridge, dingo style. That is a dingo, and it is not for sale. Yeah.
the ground, hit the ground running. A man on a mission. I canned inhibition and I ran with the vision. Every man in a listen. If you're planning to fit in as a piece of the puzzle, you're a piss in the puddle. A percent, so poor, no pot to piss in. A supper that spawned four kings to sup on. A surpassum, a pawn to kill a mom person. Possum, put the puss on. A PS, I canned inhibition. Ran with the vision. Did I have an ambition? Well, I wouldn't say that a dingo could be ambitious, but it can be damn vicious. So put my shit on on this. Song. 